last week was about kind of what God's been doing in me. This week is about what I really think God wants to do in the church. And we're going to use Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16 as our text to describe what I believe to be is the beautiful, beautiful description from Jesus of what the church should look like. When the church fully functions as it should, it should be, according to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, all the way to verse 16, is salt and light. You know, when I think of the church, I think of the fact that God put one very precious jewel on the earth. It's the most precious jewel of his possession, and it's us. And he put us right here on the earth. To be that jewel. The church should be the most healthy, vibrant, encouraging, influential organization, institution on the face of the earth. It's the one that God ordained. The church is the place where God's glory dwells. We're going to talk about that. The church is the place where we all have a role. We function well in the context of the church. We're going to talk about that as well. And it's also the place where we're going to discover the world sees us and sees our behavior and our attitude, and they see us as being different, and we become attractive. And so I believe how to be salt and light is about these three things. Sparkle, hum, and chime. Those are the three ideas that I have this morning for you. When the church sparkles, when the church hums, when the church chimes, we will be salt and light to a world that desperately needs both. So Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under by foot. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. and gives it light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, verse 16, and glorify your fathers in heaven. Let your light shine, become salty. Let, let, let your life be like salt to a world that has lost its flavor. Light to a world that has lost and become dark. And so I think what Jesus is describing here are three things. As we sparkle, it's where Jesus dwells. There's no other place on the earth that we find more clear scripture that describes where Jesus dwells. It's in his body. It's in the church. Hums. It's where people are cared for and where they work together. It's like FEMA with a Bible. Really. It's, it works. It's caring. It's connecting people. It's bringing it together with a spiritual influence. And it chimes. It's where God's truth is held up as the highest value, the highest value. You know, when, when we look at this passage, we see, of course, that Jesus is using a metaphor, salt and light, right? 
So he's using this idea of salt and light. These are, in the ancient Near East, things were described on the basis of their basic elements. Okay, so if you go to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, the writer of Ecclesiastes is making an argument about, about life under the sun, apart from God. It, it's, it's made up of these elements, and he describes them as being sun, wind, and water. The sun rises and it sets. The wind blows here and it blows there. Um, and he talks about the wind, the, the, the rivers and the seas, and the water and the movement back and forth, back and forth. The idea is these are the basic elements of life. All life is about, it's just these things. And they're in cycles, aren't they? They go up and down, back and forth, back and forth. And we find ourselves in those cycles somewhere. And without God, it's mundane because it's just going to be another day. You come and you go, you're gone. You disappear, you're off the face, you're here one day and you're gone the next. And life's just a bunch of cycles like this. And the writer of Ecclesiastes says, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. That's all it is. Unless, of course, God breaks through. Unless God does something. That's really life. Life is just a bunch of meaningless cycles based on the basic elements of life. Now, Jesus ups the ante and says, let me give you some core elements of life from the perspective of Greek thinking people. And from the mindset of the Greek, two valuable components of life were salt and light. And, and, that's, and they saw it that way. In fact, Pliny, who uh, was an ancient writer, says that, he says it this way, sole et sale, salt and light. Salt was vitally necessary for everyday life, he said in, um, in his natural history. In fact, in Latin, he said this, nil utilis sole et sale, which means there is nothing more useful than sun and salt. They're valuable. They're invaluable to us. And, and they would, the Greeks would often say, well, that person's worth their salt. There's a value to them. In fact, they, in times of antiquity, the Greeks even called salt theon, which actually means divine that the salt somehow becomes divine. And I think that's what Jesus is capitalizing on this passage. The church becomes divine, filled with God, and has a powerful impact and becomes salt and light when he invades it in these three wings. Sparkle, hum, and chime. And so what I want to do this morning with you is I want to talk a little bit about salt and light, and then I want to look at three ways. Because if I just simply sit, stood up and said, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, go do it. You're kind of thinking, well, what am I supposed to do? Jesus doesn't describe how to do it. He just simply says, that's who you are. That's who you are to be. He expects that of us. He even says, you needed to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. But he never describes how we do that, what that looks like. And so that's why I want to look at three ways in which I believe we can actually become salt and light in our generation. It's about the church. Most important institution on the face of the earth, according to God. So we need to focus on it. Now, salt is a flavor. We know that, but it was also a preservative in the, uh, in the early days before refrigeration. 
And uh, salt was very, very important. In fact, I tried to go without salt. After I had a stent, I decided that I was going to try a saltless, fatless diet. I was going to, you know, increase my longevity somehow by stopping all things that are bad for you, right? So I went out and bought Uncle Ben's saltless pretzels. And they came in this big box, and there were like six big bags of them, and, and they were made of rye and water. It was all the ingredients. And I bit into one of those things, and I started choking. <laughs> Sent the box back. It's really impossible. It really is nearly impossible to live a saltless diet. We just need it. You, you, you crave it. Your body craves it. The human soul craves something flavorful. It just doesn't know what it is yet. They just don't know what that is. We know what it is. We know what the human soul craves. And Jesus says, be that salt. Your life is that thing that people are craving for. Not you. The thing in you. The salt in you that has become you it's not you, it's God in you, it's Christ in you. And so we're going to look at that, but also I thought of the light, the idea of light and how light illumines things. It, it's the way forward. You can't walk forward without light. You actually become stuck, you become disoriented. And I look at society today and they are disoriented. They're stuck without true light. Jesus is the light of the world but the world wanted to live in darkness, a preferred darkness, John 1 says. But Jesus is the light of the world, and now we are the light of the world because Jesus is in us. I remember one time when I woke up in the middle of the night in a cabin in Big Bear, the first time I ever experienced this, it was totally pitch black, and I woke up and went, I'm in total darkness. Total darkness. There was no moon shining. There was, I couldn't see anything out the way. I got up. I couldn't find the door. And I'm in my room with my hands against the, the walls, trying to find the door to get out. And I found a window, and I looked out, and I couldn't see anything. Totally black. It was frightening, disoriented. The only other time that happened was when I was in a sleeping bag in an RV, and I was up <laughs> deep up into the, the top thing, that little kind of overhang over the cab, and... I guess I had rolled and wedged myself all the way to the front in a goose-down sleeping bag, and I woke up in the middle of the night and couldn't see, and, and I panicked and started screaming and pushing and shoving and trying to get out of there, and in the morning, everybody laughed at me because all the, the, the whole RV was full of goose feathers. I literally tore my bag. I had a fight with my sleeping bag trying to get out of the thing. And so we are salt and we are light. We need both. How do we do that? How does that happen that we become divine? How does that actually take place? When it's fully alive, fully functioning, and fully committed. When it sparkles, hums, and chimes. And here they are. Let's take a look at it. Number one, when it sparkles. When you are fully alive with what? When you're fully alive with what the church is filled with. The church is primarily a place where God's glory dwells. Where do I come up with that? I go all the way back to the Old Testament, to Isaiah. And in the book of Isaiah, I love this passage because this is our great uh, Isaiah the prophet, the most powerful, powerful prophet who came to Israel to turn Israel's heart back to God. 
And this is the time in which he was called to his purpose. He goes into the temple, and here's his description of the temple. And rem remember, the temple of God is the place on earth where God's glory dwells. The glory is the beautiful manifestation of God's presence on the earth. Think of it. We can't see God, but we can see his beautiful presence through a manifestation, his glory that comes down, and it was in the temple. And here's what happened. So in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, lofty and exalted with one train of his robe, filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face. Two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Three times it says holy. The most pure thing that we can understand is the holiness of God. Perfect. Complete. Everything. The whole enchilada. Everything is pure and perfect and complete in God. That is, that is our standard. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Isaiah looked around and realized that the glory of God, it was one of those raiders of the lost ark moment. Remember the scene when the German exploits had finally captured the ark and they opened the lid and they're not supposed to do that. Don't open the lid because the glory of God will come out and will kill you. And sure enough, boom, the glory of God just comes out. You remember that scene? And it's powerful and they all just like disintegrate in the glory of God. The power comes from the ark. And that's the closest thing we have in movies to this moment where we realize the glory of God is in the temple. God's come down and he's going to do something powerful. Now, move forward to the New Testament and, and, and the temple becomes the church. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, they began meeting in the temple. The early church, the followers of Christ, used the temple as their place where they would meet to meet and, and fellowship about Christ. And then they began to meet house, and ho house to house. And then they realized it's the assembly that is the temple. The church becomes that temple. And in fact, we, each one of us, are temples of the Holy Spirit, of the glory of God. The glory of God is resting upon you because you're a temple. 1 Corinthians 3.16, 1 Corinthians 6.19. Are you not aware? You are a temple of the Holy Spirit because God dwells in you. And the powerful presence, the manifestation of God is to be seen through you and us as the church collectively. And, and, and it should sparkle because of this. It should, we, should, we should see it emanating. Oh Lord, I love the inhabitation of your house and the place where your glory is dwells in first corinthians chapter second corinthians chapter 4 verse 6 and 7 it says because the god who said out of darkness light shall shine is the one who shined in our hearts to illuminate the knowledge of the glory of god in the face of jesus christ but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of god not of us it's in us the light is in us at any moment, God's glory could break through. At any moment. That's the potential of the church. 
Let me give you an example. In 1850, it was actually 1857, it was a businessman, a stockbroker named Jeremiah Lamphere lived in New York and in Manhattan. He realized that it was really a slump for the church, and there was probably only about 1% of Manhattans were going to, New Yorkers were actually going to, uh, to church. And so he decided to open a prayer, a noon prayer time for business people. Just come pray. And this is the church's extension into the community. Come pray with us. Nobody showed up. The sign read, prayer meeting from 12 to 1 o'clock. Stop 5, 10, or 20 minutes, or the whole hour, as your time admits. Nobody came. He kept holding it. Two years went by. The financial market crashed. All of a sudden, things changed. 10,000 people showed up for prayer. Within a decade, 80,000 people filled churches. Close to 10% of those living in Manhattan were sitting in churches. This is called the first, first American revival. Changed the scope, not only of America, it began to pop up all over the United States, but all over the world. The glory of God, just like, boom! Just happened. How's that happen? I don't know. You just start praying about it. You believe it. I love what Tim Keller says. He says, you need to give up your small ambitions and raise your sights to a higher purpose. And I think you got to do that. you got to pray Isaiah 64, verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. If God came down upon the church today, the world would see it. And that's our challenge, is to call the glory of God down upon the earth. I can't give you three points. I can't make it simple for you. All I can do is paint a picture. In the 1900s, same thing happened in Korea. 1% of the population started praying. Hundreds of thousands of Koreans came to Christ, some of the biggest churches in the world in Korea. Let me, let me give you a modern-day illustration, just a little teeny one. Maybe no one even noticed this, but I did. I read an article that was entitled, How We Get Back on the Field After Losing 98-0. to a very small little community in Minnesota just this last week, St. Scholastica. You wonder why they lost 98 to 0. You like that one, Eric? Little, little, that's a little education humor, right? This, these scholastics are out there playing football, lose 98 to 0. They play against St. John's. They lose 98 to 0, but the whole article focus not so much on the loss as, as much as it spent time talking about the opponents and their level of integrity and their playing uh, with, with a high level of sportsmanship. In fact, the coach, by the beginning of the second quarter, took all of his players, all of his star players out and put, it, put everybody in the, the second second level, and, and he just began to do that, and he ran through like 164 players. 560 yards versus 52 yards. Everything went right for St. John's. Everything went wrong for St. Scholastica. But the whole article was about the level of integrity and, and the sportsmanship of the other team and the coach. He actually went to the ref and said, hey, let's just play a running clock fourth quarter. Other coach said, no, I appreciate that, but let's just run it out the way it's supposed to run. I mean, did everything he could so that it wasn't an embarrassment. 
And, and, and when I look at that, I've got to believe there's some God component to that. There's some level of integrity where God shows up and shows a higher value than simply a football game or a win or a loss. That there's something else going on here. We can't quite know. We don't know what it is. But wow, what just happened was quite a gesture. Rather than beating down their opponent and destroying them, not only physically, but also morally and mentally, they really did everything they could to lift them up. That's the glory of God. When that kind of stuff happens, I think the culture is going to wake up and say, what's going on there? Why why is that different than what we see in other fields of competition? And so I look at the church today, this morning, as I look out, I realize that we are the river, and the river church is focused on these three things. You know, we want to experience Christ together, we want to walk in Christ together, and we want to care about all people. Those are our three things. And, and, and God's glory is going to shine down, and we're going to be praying for that, and we're going to believe that. We know that God can do that. We know God's going to do lots of things here. But we're also a church of tributaries, and we have our little fingers going all sorts of different places. And, and, and I wrote, I had to write them down. I mean, there's even more than I could write down, but Young Life and FCA and Yambi Rwanda and, and, and LA Mission and Reignite Hope, our new relationship with Reignite Hope in the, and the welding ministry and the Martin Home with, with Joseph Hamilton and your whole crew, guys that have come out of incarceration that are being reintegrated into society. We're joining hands with with Joseph and his ministry and, and Community's Child. We've been a part of them for years. And the Creasemans with CRM and training pastors in Asia and Opportunity National and Plant with a Purpose and Watts Powerhouse and Wilmington and, and, and Brad Bentley single-handedly building an orphanage in Romania. Well, it's not quite single-handedly, but he's, he's in charge of this thing and he's moving forward. And, and I realize I have a church of of highly trained, educated, skilled, empowered ministry entrepreneurs. And we support that, and that's the movement out. But guess where God's glory dwells? Here. This is it. Because every one of those people have to be connected to the body somehow. They're not independent. We're all unified. As one body, the glory of God shows up, and boom, something happens when we go out. And, and God's going to continue doing that. I'm so, I'm so excited for what's next. I know, I know three things. I wrote down three things. One is, I know there's another site. There's another site that God has for us to meet. It's not here. It's not the beach. It's probably beach location. But it's probably another building. And it will probably have some uh, child care, some children's ministry. Because there's a lot of beach people that need a church down there with some child care. And, and we're praying about that. Boom, God shows up, opens up another door. All of a sudden, all these people start showing up. There are people in our church that are praying for a coffee house. They want some kind of a place that serves the best baked goods, the best coffee, and creates an environment in Redondo Beach where people are, can just wander in, experience, and go, this is good, but there's something else here. Boom, the glory of God. 
run by people that have the, the desire to bring God's glory down. Oh, rend the heavens that the glory of God might come down. And I believe that. We just have to give up our small stories for a bigger story and believe that's entirely possible. How are we going to do it? I don't know. But we're going to get behind him. We're going to believe in that. You're here. We could do this. And it could be something that would be a stake in the ground for this church. We don't own a building. But what if we could say, but we're part of a coffee shop where people go in and they're encouraged and they sense that God's presence is there and they are loved and they are cared for. I don't know. Just dreaming. The third thing is kind of an answer to prayer about three years ago. Started a dialogue with one of my best friends, David Jennings. Met him in Chicago. He's a bond trader downtown. Retired, moved to Wyoming. Built a beautiful home. Started mountain biking and backcountry skiing. I kept saying, David, there's chapter two in your life. Nobody retires. You know that. You love the Lord. Nobody retires. There's no retirement in the Christian life. You find the next phase of your life. What has God called you to do? And so we've had this dialogue. Well, come out to the river. Come out to the river. You've been part of it financially. Come out and support us and encourage us. Bring your expertise from the business world, your heart for the inner city, your, your love for business people and young men. You like to train up young leaders. And he's, he just, th- those are the things that he has to offer. And this fall, the end of September, he's going to come out and join us. He's going to move out with his wife, Kim, and they're going to locate in the South Bay and become part of our church and just say, okay, how can I help? Here's, here's what I know, and let me join. I love your church, and I just want to see it grow, and I want to see that stake go in the ground. Leadership development, growth, discipleship, the things that we need to do. It's a great compliment to a wonderful staff that we already have. It's where God's going with us. It's what he's doing. Second thing I notice in here is that we hum. When we hum, we become salt and light. What do I mean by hum? Hum is, hum is fully functioning. I think of my TR6. Well, back when it was brand new, 1975, it hummed. I'm, I'm, I think it did. I don't know. I'm not sure because I didn't own it in 1975. Now all it does is rock, rattle, and burp because it's an old car and it's got a lot of problems. And so I began working on it even though it's got a fancy red paint job I had to start working on the motor and I spent time working fixing motor issues mounts ball joints seals tuning carb rebuilding distributor electrical then steering it started running and sounding better things started working that's the church the second way we are salt and light is when we start functioning together we want we start cooperating we join in why well, I go to church on TV, or I, I go to church in my own home. Great, that's awesome. Where's your body? Where's your community? Where's the body of Christ? Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole body being fitted together is growing into a holy temple. Oh, I'm not part of that one. Well, get a part of that one. Join. Come join a community and become a member of the holy temple that Jesus is leading and building. And then find your place in the building so that we might hum. 
And so that the world looks and goes, that's a kind of relationally healthy, cool environment where people are connected and, and there's Ephesians or 1 Peter chapter 4.10, it says that you have gifts, employ them where there's no unemployment. There's no unemployment in the church because every single one of you has a spiritual gift that's unique and different than somebody sitting next to you. Some of you have a teaching gift. Some of you have a serving gift. Some of you have a prayer gift. Some, some of you give financially more than kind of the average financial giver because God's given you a gift to release your resources for his kingdom purposes. And on and on the gifts go. Administration and, and prayer, prayer and, and prophecy and, and evangelism. There's all sorts of gifts. It's based on your passions, the way God made you. When you do what you do well with enjoyment, the Holy Spirit shows up, that's your gift. Well, I don't do anything. Well, you, you have a gift. God's given you a gift. Four places in the New Testament describe spiritual gifts. When you find that, guess what happens? We begin to function and things happen and people look around and go, I want to I be a part of that. See, that's the mission of the world, salt and light. A few weeks ago, I stood up and I said, we need help. We're going to move our children over to the conservatory, but we can't do that until we have staffed it properly and we have volunteers. I want a safe environment for kids. I, I want a place where kids can come in and be discipled and mentored on Sunday morning and parents can be encouraged while they're sitting in the service. We need that. It's the fastest growing segment of our church, our young families. And that's going to require all of us to play a role. High school ministry, junior high ministry, grounded groups where people's lives are being changed. It's remarkable to me the kind of ministry that's happening that's not staff related. It's, it's people to people. It's, it's, it's someone opening up their home and they're taking the next step and they're inviting others and people love it. And it's going on all over the community. It's called a ground group. It's just opening up your home, inviting people in, having a meal, having a discussion about the sermon. It's happening. We will hum when we play that role. I wrote down three things. Attend, serve, and give. You got to attend. You got to be part of it. Join in. Hebrews 10.25. Don't forsake the assembly of some. You've got to serve. 1 Peter 4.10. You have a gift. There's no unemployment in the church. You have a gift. You have a role. What is it? I don't know. Pray about it. Jump in. Try it. Try it out. If you're a lousy teacher, try something else. You'll find it. And then give. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-7. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. See, Paul says, you get what you put into it. And one of the ways that you will learn and understand about your Christian life of what you get out of it is what you've given. And that's why Paul communicates that we give financially. Why? Because God needs your money? No. Because he wants your heart. And what you give, you get back. You begin to reap the benefits in your life and the lives of others. You begin reap, therefore, be a cheerful giver. Give as you purpose to give. It's not an option. It's the demonstration of a fully functioning church that attends, serves, and gives. Now, we have some people that give and they rarely attend and don't serve, and that spells gas. Some of you 
serve, seldom, seldomly attend, and don't give, and that spells SAG. So I think I've got it in the right order, attend, serve, and give, but you guys work on that. And the final thing I want to say before we close is, is chime, the, the attraction, how the church attracts people, the best way to attract, the best way to, to chime or to allure a world that's watching is two things. I wrote down two things, to be accepting and obedient. Accepting and obedient. Dr. Lloyd-Jones said the influence of Christians in and on society depends on their being distinct, not identical. The glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. When we're different, when we really live up to it. And I wrote two things, accepting and open and obedient. I read an amazing article. I don't have a lot of time to talk about it. But Thomas Brooks read a great, wrote a great article based upon an article written by Richard Rohr. And the article was um, all about living uh, what he calls at the edge of the inside. And the edge of the inside, it's a very interesting article, talks and, and Thomas Brooks politicizes it, but Richard Rohr spiritualizes it and the same idea applies, that there are three kinds of people. Insiders who maintain the status quo outsiders that throw bombs in the inside to try to change things up and blow them up. And there's these individuals that are on the, out, the edge of the inside. They value the organization's core values. They believe in those. They'll, they'll give anything for them, but they stand on the, out, on the edge, which means they're on the bridgeways. They're at the point where people are on the outside are looking in. They stand there. They know the values of the organization, but they're also looking the other direction, and they're bringing the two together. And I finally read an article and said, that's us. That's me. I believe that. That's who God made us to be, bridge builders, reformers, not assumed by groupthink. See, institutions are designed to think about its members. It's defined by its members, but guess what a movement is defined by? It's non-members, people that are not included. Because movements grow by acquiring more, by growing deeper. So you've gotta be on the edge of the inside. You gotta value the values, but you gotta stand on the edge and be a bridgeway to the rest of the world. Accepting, grace-filled, loving, involved part of the culture. That's who we are. And then all of a sudden, chime. You hear it. And people go, what's going on over there? They get us. They've included us. We're part of them. They've allowed us in. They welcome us. The second thing is, and I'll just very briefly, is obedience. First Peter chapter 2, we are to long for the pure milk of the word. And be obedient to the word of God in every area of our life. And then it says later in chapter 2 that the Gentiles will see and they will glorify God. Bill McPhee sent the staff an article. It was in Washington Post. It said Christians are part of the same dating pool as everyone else. That's bad for the church. And what it described is basically that the Christians in America are on the same dating sites, and even the Christian dating sites are kind of promoting the same thing. It's just kind of more like hookups. It's unwed sex without any level of uh, understanding of whether that's right or wrong. We've kind of lost our way. 
And there's real no moral biblical values anymore to how we understand dating and sex. And what this article went on to say is that basically it's impacting the church because people that are engaging in unwed sex aren't going to the church and the church attendance is dropping in that segment of society because they don't want to be here and hear that. And so it's impacting because they haven't built a core level conviction about what God says about sex. He gave it to us as a gift. It's to be used, it's to be experienced and enjoyed in the context of marriage. We know that's what God's word says. We understand that. And everything goes wrong outside of that, and we know that. When we're called back to obedience, we recognize this is a faith walk. This is not easy. This is a one, this is not a one-time deal here. This is a take one step at a time. But when we do that and we apply that to our life, let me give you a personal illustration in another category. I was down at a surf shop, actually a dive shop. Love dive and surf, been part of dive and surf, but anyway, for a long, long time. But I was gonna go fly, go um, spear fishing with my son a couple weeks ago, and I told you about that story. And I, what I didn't tell you is when I went down to buy some equipment that I needed, I walked into the dive part, and I kind of felt like I was in the good old boy club. And, I, and I, I wasn't getting in. And I was trying to get in so I could get the stuff I needed. And it wasn't happening, and I started forming an attitude. This is not against dive and surf. I love dive and surf. In fact, I shared this story on the beach, and all of a sudden the body glove boat pulled right up to the beach. I mean, really close to our church service. They must have heard me. But I really have a great respect, and I've given them a lot of business. I love dive and surf. But, but I felt this little twinge like I don't have the right nomenclature and you got to be part of the good old boy to be able to get what you need here and so i started having this attitude he finally rings me up and says you know what's your name you're not in our system have you ever shopped here before i've ever shopped here before i've been shopping here since i was in diapers my dad used to scuba dive or and and skin dive with wool sweaters on with the maestro brothers in 1953 off the coast of pv for lobsters and then they invented the first wetsuit, and my dad had one. Until my brother borrowed it one Halloween, he wanted to become a lamb for Halloween. So he pulled out of the attic my dad's first wetsuit, body glove wet, first one ever made. He put it on and he glued cotton balls all over it. And went to a Halloween party in high school and almost perspired to death. Well, that was the end of the wetsuit, but that's how far I go back with dive and surf. So how about a little respect? And I realized, you know what? If that's about me, it's totally about me. And I kind of changed in the moment that I was like, this is, why am I acting this way? Why am I responding this way? I'm sure there's somebody here that knows me. I better be careful. And sure enough, around the corner comes this cute gal who's working there who goes, Pastor Todd, how are you? <laughs> there we are. And I'm so glad that I just didn't... Uh, Give them a piece of my mind I could not afford to lose, as they say. And I realized in that moment how challenging and tricky it really is. If it was easy, we'd all be doing it. It's not. By the grace of God, one step at a time. And so I really do believe this is a message for the church. This is a message for the church. The church is where God's glory dwells. It's where you attend and serve and give and function like the church. It's a place where we get after living real faith. 
as James Dunn said, geliebte Glaube, which means literally to be lived out, a faith lived out. We live in it out. It's our challenge. That's the core entity of the church that we are committed to. And as we move into a study of the book of Acts, we're going to see that church challenged with these three things. So let's pray. I'm going to invite you forward as you're ready to come take communion. So Father, as we prepare our hearts now to be the church, to be God's people, we recognize that Jesus, you are the cornerstone. You are the head of the body. and We are just members. And you paid a sacrifice, a price to be that one. As I look out and see the the bread and the juice, they represent your body, broken for us. So Father, as we come forward, I pray that we would be mindful of your sacrifice, Jesus, and it would be a place where we would um, maybe drop our small ambitions. A place where we would um, hand off our insecurities or our failings and receive a new blessing from you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.